You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 94, Trad Bows and Underused Turkey Cuts with Emra Oric. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick spontaneously calls up Emra Oric of Bow Hunting Soul Podcast to chat about trad bows, chasing turkeys, and how to get as much usage out of your harvested bird. Nick has strung up his longbow and wanted to get some tuning tips to make it shoot just right. Trying not to blow his brain, Emra gives some places to start, like brace height and getting the correct spined arrow. Nick wanted to move on into turkey dishes that utilized underused cuts of the bird and how plucking your whole bird can help. Emra added even more ideas outside of just meat, but using parts to add to your equipment to chase the next bird. If you want to get the most out of your turkey this year, then tune into this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey folks, beautiful afternoon here in Michigan. I just got out of a couple classes and man, we're sitting in the 40s right now. The snowbank. So the only things that are left, like the ground is clear. This is beautiful scouting weather. I don't care if you're a deer hunter, a turkey hunter, a small game hunter. I don't care if you're, if you don't even like hunting. If you're a mushroom hunter, this is the time to be out scouting. It's just a beautiful day, and we're halfway through it. I still got three classes yet to do, but that's neither here nor there. But I found a moment here in the middle of the day to uh, call up my friend here, Emra Oric. He is the podcast host of Bowhunter Soul, Bowhunting Soul, and he also runs the YouTube channel there. Emra, thanks for uh, joining me this afternoon. Thanks. Um, We're both both sitting on our cars in a beautiful day. I'm on a parking lot, and you're in a car, 
and we're uh, it's uh, 19 degrees here a lot more snow but it's absolutely gorgeous so i feel you yeah, we gotta get we gotta get rid of these nine to five jobs. That's that's what's boiling down to. We gotta get rid of. We we need more sugar mamas here. We got you know. Listen, honey, just get that promotion, be the CEO, and then I'll just do my thing. How about that? I, the boys can join me. We need that Spotify me. money is what we need. We need that yes. Spotify Rogan, Rogan money. Man. We don't have to worry about this. So anyway, I called you up because. Uh, I'm doing something super neat. Um, it's and it's been a unit that I've done now. I want to say this is probably year four. Um, I've been doing an archery unit in my elementary school, so my third and fourth graders get the get the chance to actually hold a compound bow for the first time, able to draw and shoot an aluminum arrow at a floor target, and I can tell you, like. This is, it's, I'm watching archery bugs get, or I'm watching kids get bit by the archery bug every single time I do this unit. It's incredible to see these kids get a chance to just pick something up and, you know, they, just like all of us, they struggle for like the first two days, just hoping to get the arrow to stick into the target. But after they figure that out, after they figure out to like really open up that chest and use the, the back tension, not that I'm going into all of those details, but when you see them pull back to their anchor point and finally release that first good arrow, I tell you, they are hooked, Emra. They're hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something magical to it. I mean, it's that it's, it's very cheesy, you know, the magical flight of the arrow, but it's, it's, it's a real thing. And I, as a... I would say like a show and tell aspect. I brought my, my longbow in and I hadn't given it much of a tune. I, I just basically pulled it off the shelf, put some tension on the string, actually hooked it up on there and then set an arrow. It did hit the target. Luckily I didn't want to look like too much of a, of a novice in front of the, you know, my peons here of all the kids I'm trying to show that I, I know what I'm doing, but they were even like looking at like, wow, that's a, that's where bows came from. They don't. They always don't have the wheels and pulleys. And knowing that uh, you're a trad guy, um, how is how has been your winter workout going with your trad bows? Have you been testing out some bows, or have you been looking to fine tune the ones that you actually take out hunting? Well, I, I'm lucky enough that I first of all I live like three minutes away from a uh, an archery shop. And I can also shoot like 13 yards in my basement. So there's not a day really that I don't fling at least like a quiver full of arrows. Um, so I'm really lucky that way. I love to shoot. Sometimes I only get to shoot like a quiver or two. Sometimes I'm down there till like two in the morning. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a good, a good or bad thing. But yeah, I, 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 ju- I just shoot a lot. Um, so there really hasn't been any downtime in my in my my shooting. You know what I mean? As far as like practice goes. Good deal. Um, as one, I, I don't set the bow down and I, I have to just put an asterisk on that and say, I haven't put the compound bow down. I've done a lot more work with that. Um, mainly cause I'm running two different arrow setups, uh, one for target archery and 3d archery, which is coming up here in the summer. And then I have, I, I drank all the Ashby Kool-Aid that I could. And so I've got then the hunting arrows, which I really do enjoy. And that's probably a whole other thing that we can, we can go down, but that's, that's not the near the purpose of this episode, but I, I like to tinker with that. 
and then now like actually pulling off the the longbow off the shelf, stringing it up, and letting a few fly. It's it's kind of rekindled that that need, that want to be more proficient with the trad bow. Um, I know that there's been a lot of folks that have picked it up because they they think it's cool. Then after a while, they're like, ah, I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with this. Like I'm going to go back to the the compound. I mean, honestly, like you know, getting further distances, more speed, everything under the sun as far as being more efficient, it does go to the compound. But at the same time, I feel like there's like a discipline aspect. There's a, uh, what do I want to call it? A, di- a discipline, a, you know what, I want to, I want to make things more difficult so that I enjoy things more. Not to say sure. that I wouldn't enjoy taking a deer. I absolutely enjoy taking deer with my compound. I don't know. It's just something like a, I guess it's a bucket list goal thing that I want to do is to take an animal with a traditional piece of equipment. Um, as I'm working with that, if I'm looking at like a trying to get this thing back into tune, how do I tune a bow like that? Is it merely twisting of the string? Is it I got to make sure my arrows are the correct spine? Kind of walk us through basic tuning of a traditional bow. Oh boy! I mean, we can go down for hours and hours, right? But um, we, <laughs> just we a basic one, Emma. Just a like basic <laughs> of that. That's you know, there's there's so much to it. You know, people think it is just a simple stick and a string, and it is, but. Um, First of all, you as a shooter are much more part of the overall uh, picture in this, right? So how how you draw, how you release, how you anchor, what uh, how consistent you are, that kind of thing. Um, that can drastically affect the tune of a bow. Somebody can shoot um, uh, a bow, even with a compound too. Like I mean, you can you can you know tune it for you and bear shaft, you know, or or paper tune, you know, perfect holes and stuff. And then I can pick it up, and then I have like different pressure, different torque, or whatever, and it can be completely out of tune for me but um for traditional bow yeah i mean you have basically your uh, string that you can twist up, twist up and down you know to get your brace height but that only gets you like into a range of like where the bow uh kind of feels um good as far as feedback and is, is the most most quiet there's like a little range in there probably about a you know quarter inch maybe a range half inch at the most um and if you're in there you're good other than that you know you're talking you know like knock height um, how high the you know the the back of the arrow is you know, usually have um uh as opposed to a compound where it's like dead straight you you're you know um the back of the arrow is up anywhere from a half inch to you know three quarters of an inch you know five eighths is usually pretty common starting point you know um and then of course spine is a whole lot more important because the, our bows aren't center shot um you know there's there's no such thing as it, even people still say it and, and it's wrong there's no such thing as archer's paradox with a compound i mean you're, you're shooting at uh, uh, something dead straight down the pipe um but the bending of that arrow around a traditional bow that you know that occurs because it's coming off of your fingers and there's like a little bit of a side thrust off the string as it's pushing your fingers out of the way um and that's how it clears the riser of a of a traditional bow so spine you know how flexible that arrow is it becomes more important so you get that with the length um the construction of the arrow how much tip weight you have all kinds of stuff so there's there's a lot to actually you know really really tuning a traditional bow it's not as um it's not as quote-unquote simple as, as some people would would say it is or would like it to be there's actually physics behind it you know and that's a huge point of contention in the trad community especially with the older crowds they're like oh just fling it you know and that's what feathers are for and but 
you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fly downrange by magic. There's actual, you know, <laughs> physics behind what's going on. To be someone, you know, you mentioned the, the older folks, the good old boys, they don't, they didn't have the capabilities as like slow motion footage that comes sure. easy to us now. They didn't have the op- the option to have like a a camera that they you know literally in everybody's pocket right now we have a recording device that we can take a picture of ourselves or record ourselves shooting or even to be like, "Oh, you're talking about this Archer's Paradox like uh YouTube video Archer's Paradox and you can actually see like slow motion footage of it." To be a profound archer in someone in their day or even day previous, like how much like physics does play into it. And it's either like mm-hmm. they had the most amazing like mind and brain to wrap around that. Or like you said, it's like just trial and error at that point. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's there. And um, again, you can make it as complicated or not complicated as you want. You know what I mean? And this, again, this, this could be, many, many podcasts in, in itself. So I'll, I'll try not to get all r- too riled up about it, but yeah, it, it's not magic. It's not magic that, you know, the boat, the arrow happens to curve like away from the riser every single time. Like, I mean, everyone says, Oh, it's Archer's paradox, but no one really explains, you know, why that is, you know, and um, there's a reason for it. <laughs> so and it's not magic, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, but it's fun. I mean, you, you go down this road and um I love I love tuning. I love tinkering. I like doing all that stuff. So I don't know. I think I can I can respect the the traditions that come with it, and but by, by also but also understanding that there's a reason why things are the way they are. Exactly, exactly. And then if we're going to translate this, like man, now you got to use this this weapon. At one point, these were state of the art, but now you got to use this weapon to acquire food, and it all of a sudden brings in like. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it does matter the amount of tuning and practice that goes into that. But now all of a sudden, like you said, it has more to do with you at that point. Can I slow my breath down? Can I focus on the spot? Can I go through my draw and release despite the amount of adrenaline ripping through my body as here sits a deer or turkey or whatever critter I'm trying to put something on? Just that amount of control is, I think, one of those things like it's everybody can shoot one with a gun and, you know, bows are getting faster every day when it comes to the compound world. But being less than 15 yards from that critter that now you have intentions of taking its life and it's just the emotion that wraps up half that battle right there is just controlling yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I've and I've been. You know, I'm I'm still over was it over over three or over four on shots on turkeys with uh, you know three three with a you know one with a compound and then and then a two or three with a uh, with, with my with my trad bow so I'm I'm still working on it but um it's uh yeah it, it, it's just, it, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun um I've I've done it with you know like like pigs too um it's just uh, sometimes you're in the zone and then some other factor like comes pops up and ruins your day and then other times it's you that just completely has a mental collapse and screws up which is you know yeah usually the case yeah but uh, you're not sitting in some 
blind as you're doing this. As we were talking earlier, I was, I was like, hey, I want to do an episode on, on turkey. And you were like, oh, I haven't taken a turkey yet. And I'm like, well, you've at least been turkey hunting. And you were describing that you're in a ghillie suit. You're on the ground. You've got your traditional equipment. You're you're going for the gusto on this. You want to make it as primitive as possible. That's going to, whatever you end up taking, that's going to be a for sure trophy. Yeah. So I was in a blind, like the first couple, like I, I've been, first of all, disclaimer, I am not a turkey expert. Okay. But in the last five years, you know, just like anyone else who spends time chasing any, any animal, you learn a whole lot about them. And, um, I'm not the greatest caller. I, I can't use a mouth call. I gag on those things. I, I, I've tried. Um, so I'm like a pot and peg or slate call guy, but, um, you know, when I realize around here, like tur- turkeys with a, um, with a pop-up blind is absolute murder. Um, especially if you have like a shotgun or something like that. I mean, just, they don't care. Like you can scare them off and then put the pop-up blind in the middle of a field and the very next day they'll, they'll, they'll be just, they're too stupid to realize what's, you know, they're smart enough to duck my arrows or, or get not hit by them, but they're, you know, <laughs> they don't care about blinds um i had a pop-up blind for the first couple years um and i've been doing this in earnest i'm using air quote and like for like the last four or five years and you know i did miss one with my compound at 11 yards i got cocky i was trying to aim for the base of the neck and it slick trick like barely if it sliced a feather off the size side of its neck i i I, you know i mean if it was half inch one way dead right but um they you know he came right to the blind but that was um you know pop-up blinds are heavy right and I really like like running and gunning. And I, I don't like sitting in places for too long, whether it's deer hunting, which is why I'm unsuccessful. But I, you know, I like moving around. Right. And I thought, well, if I'm going to go and run and gun and do be a whole lot more mobile, I don't want to like huff around this, you know, 20, 20 pound, whatever, you know, they weigh 15 pounds this big, long, bulky um, uh, pop up line. Right. If it's a couple hundred yards, it was all right. But then I'm like, OK, well. Um, I had a couple encounters where I was just, just out walking around or, or scouting at lunch, you know, on my bike. Um, and I got an opportunity at one and I'm like, well, I, I'm, I like, I like moving around a whole lot more. So last, last year, year before I kind of ditched the, um, uh, the blind and I thought, well, if I'm going to walk in and it's an easy walk to some of these places, it's like a, it's like a, like a walking trail or path or whatever. But even if it's like a mile, you know, a mile and a half, I'm like, I'm not hoofing this thing. I just want to be in my backpack, my bow. And, you know, like the, the funky chicken decoy, like I won't carry any decoy that I can't like stuff or inflate or whatever. And like you put into like a Kafaru door gunner, you know what I mean? Um, I'm sure I'd have more success if I had like a hundred dollar Dave Smith decoy set up, you know, um, that kind of thing. But I'm not lugging around all that stuff. And so I know I'm kind of handicapping myself that way, but I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, go with either leafy suit, ghillie suit, whatever, and just kind of move around and set up. And I've had some really good opportunities and I've, 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 you know, like was it last year, year before, I mean, I had, I, you know, walked in about mile, mile and a half. I hunkered down behind some blowdowns. I set up Gilly, you know, I called one into seven yards, you know, and I, and I, you know, I turned around and jumped up, you know, like out of the brush, you know, like seal team six, you know, took a couple steps sideways and launched one. And I was trying to thread the needle between, cause it's kind of going to bust me at this point. Cause it kind of came and did like a little J hook in front of me had no idea I was there and I fully stood up, took a couple steps over to, to clear the brush. And then my arrow on the way, uh, smacked the side of my decoy. You know what I mean? But I mean, this was nine yards and I'm like, well, okay, well, this is the second time I've, I've been able to call something 
really close with just on the ground and especially in you know in, in the in the turkey um you know in the turkey rut you know you know in the spring like that they're 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 they're, they're angry they're pissed off and they're horny and they're going to come to sounds anyway if they have if they have a free minute if they're not hend up they're going to come and i thought well if i can just keep their attention with something else like a decoy or whatever they're coming to the sound i'm still not even convinced they even care about my crappy decoys then you have you have a chance you know what i mean so yeah. you know take that that's my experience take that for what it's worth but i, I kind of found the um uh the, the pop-up blind to be unnecessary if you are set up in a good enough you know you know cover gotcha and it sounds like you're right on the cusp, like third time's a charm. I think oh, you're going to yeah. put these pieces together this year, Emra. I think I you're so. super close. <laughs> We've all been there. The animal is down. The hunt is over. However, the work now begins. For meativore and huntivores alike, who take it upon themselves to process their carcass, they require dedication, a strong back, and attention to detail. The folks over at Made With Meat have the same dedication when it comes to producing equipment that is commercial grade yet accessible to the home butcher. If you need to prepare, process, or preserve your game, they got it. I picked up their chamber vacuum sealer one year ago and it has been an incredible investment. The ease of pre-made pouches, good suction from the chamber and not having to suck the air from the bag itself, the high quality seal that won't break. I've used it on butchered wild game, fish fillets, divided up goodies from the smoker, and was able to portion out large batch items. I made a 10-pound batch of barbacoa and froze the rest in one-pound bags. Now anytime the kids want Benny nachos, we just grab a bag and it's ready to go. Made With Meat has a whole lineup of equipment covered by a limited lifetime warranty. Head over to madewithmeat.com or find the link in the show notes. Use the coupon code HUNTIVOR10 all lowercase at checkout to take 10% off your order. Hey, get ready to step up your meat game. I, uh, I, on the flip side of this coin, I, I'm 10,000 successful kills on turkeys. Uh, that might even be a shot. Maybe I'm up to 15,000, but that's all on the domestic side. That's not hunting. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're out of <Yeah>. shackle. <laughs> it's a pretty much a factory process. But at the same time, like I am, I am zero percent on wild turkey. I I haven't gone out and actually pursued turkeys. I I've heard folks talk about them as poor man's elk because it's the calling game. There's an aspect to where you're chasing the animal or you like being able to uh, call for the animal, have them call back, and then there's this this chess game that happens. Um, I haven't yet had to the chance to experience that however i've helped a lot of folks and a lot of buds out with once they've gotten their bird on the ground uh and being able to then then use that and that's where i kind of wanted this uh conversation to go because you my friend you're uh you like to be in the kitchen just as much as you like to be in the range um absolutely What's your experience with with cooking wild turkey or even just domestic turkey? Are you still in the realm of you can make a turkey sandwich out of Thanksgiving leftovers, or have you uh, ventured out beyond that? Well, um, so wild turkey zero, right? 
Yeah. But um, <laughs> there, there's, 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 I know, I know, I'm, I'm thinking where you're kind of going with this. Um, there is a lot of similarity between um, the things we can do with the, I guess the, the, you know, the low hanging fruit, you know, the easy, the easy cuts kind of thing from a turkey versus uh, some of the other parts of a turkey that people might discard or use in, in a way that, you know, um, they, they may think it's difficult, but it's not, you know, and that's like the legs and the dark meat and the, um, you know, the bones and, and, you know, I haven't done gizzards or anything like that. You know what I mean? But um, there, there's a lot you can, there's a lot you can do with that. I mean, everyone, everyone knows, I think you can do the normal like turkey breast thing. You can do the uh, uh, schnitzel, you know, kind of pound it out and bread it and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, just like with deer, I think a lot of like shanks and like legs and stuff like that, um, especially with turkeys, you know, it seems like they get thrown away. A lot of people, you know, say that you know, they don't, they don't want to mess with that. It's because that you know the, the the it's so sinewy and tough, right? If we were to cook that in the way that we cook, um, a different style or, or or different you know protein from different part of the animal, like a breast or you know let's say like a backstrap or whatever from from a deer, right? But um, there's so much flavor in all those cuts that are thought of as tough or quote unquote for the grind pile if you were to do um, like a slow braise or something like that, you know, where all that uh, connective tissue just kind of uh, just turns into, I call it meat butter. You know, I, I stole that from, from meat eater, but uh, uh, Ryan Callahan, I think, but he called it meat butter one time, but um, that, that kind of, that, th those are the things that I like to do where you kind of put in um, and not necessarily that you're putting in the time the crock pot is, or the Dutch oven is, you know, but you're getting so much more flavor out of, out of those kind of cuts that, um, you know, just, just like if someone eats a chicken, like I hate chicken breast. I mean, I hate chicken breast, but you know, the, the dark meat side of it, it's got so much more flavor, so much more rich. You just got to treat it the way it's the way it deserves to be treated. And then you're going to be rewarded. Exactly. Exactly. And to, to go along with what you were saying too, I am surprised <clears throat> that when I got into, when I put my first deer down and I think this just goes along with, with any animal that I've got exposed to, even a domestic turkey, uh, that I mean, we could add in the like I'm trying to get the most bang out of my buck for this bird because I want to then create more of a retail front. I want to get all the meat that I can off of it and use as much as possible because there's an investment of money into that. But now, if I'm going to go chase a critter, how much did you? How much does a turkey? license cost in minnesota i guess maybe maybe i'm being a little forward on that but you're looking at what 30 bucks for for a tank? i think it's like 30 yeah like 30 35 bucks yeah so 30 35 bucks for a tag for something that you're going to go and just take the breast out of in michigan i'm i'm not sure the cost of the tag but i know you can only get two birds and you know my my return on investment a of of money that I am buying these tags. Now my time, you know, one of these <clears> things that I end up having to go back to the missus is, is she's all about, you know, return on investment. I haven't had you in the house now for how many sits. And yet I don't see X, Y, Z amount of deer, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, she starts to, to become a little bit more stringent on time allotted in the field. But sure. so I'm now here I am with, with Turkey and it's like, well, shoot, a big Tom in the realm of uh, 
wild turkey, we're looking at 22, 24 pounds at this point. Yeah. I want to get as much off of that boy as I can, despite the sinew, despite the toughness. There's going to have to be some, I think, some extra work that I'm going to have to go in and, and, and to get this out, to glean out those now parts that I'm going to then find desirable. But yeah, to breast one out, I feel like you're kind of pigeonholing yourself. You're not getting as much bang for the buck as you can get. Yeah, you're leaving, I mean, no, no dad joke here, but you're leaving, you're leaving a lot on the table, right? Yes. Um, and, and if we're going to do a calculate, going back a little bit, if we're going to do a calculation on like uh, dollars per ounce or whatever of meat, I mean, don't, don't even bring that up to the family, uh, family you know, finance uh, discussion because it's not <laughs> going to go your way, I promise you, especially with, um, even without the prices of, uh, you know, Joe Biden gasoline lately. I mean, just, just driving back and forth and back and forth. Um, you know, if you're unsuccessful for, and we have a six week season here, if you, if you choose archery, right. Um, so, you know, depending how far you have to drive to do it, I mean, you are getting, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, it's a ridiculous, like don't even do the calculation because you're just going to, you, you, you'll want to like wonder why you don't just bang your head into a brick wall. But, um, we're out there for more than that. Obviously it's, it's, it's that intangible like experience. Right. But, um, yeah, here we only get one bird, you know, we can only get one. No, actually, uh, you know what? Yeah. We can only get one bird. Uh, we have two seasons. We have a, we have a spring season. And if you're unsuccessful in the spring season, you can also do uh, a fall Turkey, which is, um, either sex through the, uh, month of October, you can do it here, but yeah, whatever you get, um, you know, I try not to look at it from like a monetary point of view, um, which if anyone else does that, that's fantastic. But I look at it like I've got like, what can I do with this? I I'm, I'm like you, right. I like experimenting in the kitchen and stuff. So um, I'm just, I'm just wanting to know like, Hey, what else can I, can I do with this? There's, there's um, you know, and, and, and if people are kind of wondering like, okay, well, what how how is a turkey different well i mean what would you do with a chicken right if you bought like a domestic chicken or um you, you know you, you'd, you'd have the meat then you you know you do the you know you'd roast the whole thing or let's say you do the legs and things like that wings and then you know a lot of people will make uh, chicken stock you know for example out of out of the carcass right well, you can do the exact same thing with a turkey or any animal really but absolutely absolutely i i've done two dishes one I did a, a French onion soup out of just what you were saying. I actually, it, it was a domestic bird, but at the same time, these parts still, and especially with the archery tackle that you're going to be taking this wild turkey with. I'm already, I'm already giving you a recipe right here for when you get your bird down, Emra. Um, that neck is going to be mostly intact because you're going to be, well, I guess, where are you aiming for are you going for the heart shot the heart and lungs on the bird or are you trying to sever its head uh from the from the neck i guess that's where it would start at well I, after missing with a compound when i aimed at the neck i'm gonna go for the bigger target this time, <laughs> okay good <laughs> so now you have this neck that is full of a bunch of connective tissue a bunch of beautiful dark meat that is a perfect brazing piece or even add-on into the stock pot yeah and the wings of a of a wild turkey, even of a domestic turkey, they're they're going to be definitely tough. They're going to be sinewy, and you got to deal with flight feathers. When you're plucking a turkey, the the breast area, the back area, totally easy, all the way even down the legs. 
it's merely you just got to you got to take your time. Two or three feathers. Hank Shaw does an amazing job of describing how to be able to do this, and he pinches three, and then just basically with a a wrist flick uh, against the grain pulls these feathers out. It sure. does. It does take a hot second. You know, you can do a whole bird in, I don't know, maybe an hour, but it is going to have you sit there and have to to pluck it out. But by doing doing that and with the flight feathers, I find a pair of channel locks. Oh, you just grab onto one of those and you just give it a good, you know, just the same wrist flick and those things pop out quite nicely you don't have to rip yeah. on them if you take too much bite if you start trying to get ahead of yourself save time grabbing three it, you know it's not going to happen so you got to find a way where you can just be able to pop you know wrist pop one at a time pull those off if you want to save your tip fine cut off the tip but at least go with the mid and the drummy but i put all three of those in uh stock pot and I shredded the meat when they were all done. So I put them in fully, kept that stock, kept all the meat, and ended up caramelizing the onions, dumping the the stock into it, keeping the meat into it. And I tell you, that was the most rich soup that I've had in making uh, any sort of homemade soup. Just that having all the pieces and parts go into that, be it the neck and the wings, I tell you, that's an easy culinary thing you can do. doesn't save you on time. You know, it does take some time to do it. But at the same time, I was gifted something that was far richer on the end part of that. Sure. Um, like I said, I haven't, I haven't made turkey. Maybe I've made turkey like domestic turkey stock like a long time ago, you know. And I really ought to spend more time making stock. Um but uh, yeah, absolutely. Just you, you just any of any of that richness that we talked about in some of those like tougher cuts of meat, um, you're going to get the same kind of result with you know the bones and, and everything that that meat is connected to. You know that's why that's why that that kind of stock that you make the stock that you make from those um, has such an you know a, a rich flavor. So no, absolutely. Um, and you know just you know since since you kind of touched on the trad thing, you know let's let's kind of we can, we can even, as far as like using up the bird, like you can even step away a little bit farther from the non-edible parts to like you talk, talk about the feathers and stuff. You know, a lot of guys use them for, for fletching, right. From, from birds they shot. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's a guy out there. I know it's probably, there's probably more, but I think it goes under wild fletching. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. He's a trad guy. Um, he makes um, beautiful uh, fletchings out of um, wild, turkey feathers and like people people will send it into them so go go look up wild fletching um on instagram or whatever again i'm sorry i forget your name but um he does uh he, he does just amazing stuff there's na- from from natural like non uh like non-farm raised stuff like wild actual wild turkey um feathers and if you really want to get into it you know guys have been making um turkey calls from the like like the wing bones of of turkeys you know, and there's there's plenty of YouTube uh, tutorials on that. And I don't know if you follow. Did you follow Catman at all? Yeah, um, I've seen that. Where he, now one one bone's got to fit into another one. Isn't that right? You got to like slide one. It's like three. Somehow, of them. Yeah, you got to slide. You got to attach them together. Yeah, there there there's three of them, and you got to kind of, I guess, like grind and shape a little bit to make them to make them kind of you know wedge one to the into the other into the other into the other. But um, 
it kind of looks like a little mini bugle, you know, um, or like a little powder horn looking kind of thing, but uh, I've never done it and I, I won't do it. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not that, that crazy about it kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're really getting into like this whole, like, I'm going to try and use as much of this animal as I possibly can, you know, you can, you, you know, it's, it's in the same vein as, uh, you know, people who, who tan deer hides and make gloves out of them or, uh, you know, render down the tallow and then make uh, soap or candles or what have you out of them. You know what I mean? You can always, you can always step it up from just uh, the food part to the actual consuming of the, the non-edible parts too, or making something out of it to, you know, enhance that experience. And, you know, the ultimate thing would be to then use that wing bone call to call in a turkey and shoot it with an arrow that you fletched from last year's turkey. You know what I mean? And guys do that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's so cool. I mean, what a, you know, circle of life kind of, you know, thing, you know, that is, that is neat. My year this year, I claimed 2022 as like the year of self-sufficiency. You allude to a little bit more as like gas prices are going up. Like, you know, the more that we rely on someone else to handle our food or to acquire our, our heat or, or energy, like, Man, it, the price goes up because of how many hands have to that has to touch or go through, and when you hear when you hear like that scenario that you just said that uh, a, a guy's going to make an arrow uh, with fletchings of a previous bird, he's going to make a call from a previous bird, and he's going to take the next bird with both of those. That just sums up like I, that. That makes things so exciting when it comes to just being more and more self-sufficient. I know there's a point at one point where it's like, you can't, something's got to get tossed, but at the same time, like that's just a cool scenario you laid out. I mean, that's one step away from walking around in a loincloth and, you know, living in a teepee, you know what I mean? Cause that's what those guys <laughs> did, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's this, this stuff has been around, <laughs> you know, we just, uh, some people choose to, you know, practice, you know, quote unquote, the old ways, but, it's it's you know what's that term everything new is old is new again or whatever that term is you know yeah um however however that thing goes but yeah i mean it's 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 good to discover some of that stuff and if you dabble in it just kind of as a a hobby right um you know you can kind of give it a shot if you're if you're kind of you know maybe it's a good way to extend the hunt too maybe i'm kind of reaching with this but um you know everyone kind of goes through like the post season doldrums you know between seasons or whatever or the summer or you know between end of deer and beginning of turkey and stuff so if you have like these kind of little projects set aside you know let's say you're going to make like a you know a homemade blade out of like a hacksaw blade um and and use your you know your antler or something like that as a knife handle you know what i mean try that project or if you're gonna make a wing bone call try that project that's you know you're not shooting anything and it's nothing's in season but you're still working with, you know, the animals or whatever that you've, that you've shot to kind of, you know, extend those memories, you know? I'm a sentimental guy. And yeah, when I, when I get an an antler or a shed, I I want, like, I'm in this conundrum of like, it would be cool to make scales for a knife for this. That would be so cool. Mm. But then I'm also wrestling with like, well, what if I screw it up and I now don't have my little trophy here? Like, that's, uh. <laughs> like I don't want to screw it up, but at the same time, like, Nick, it's going to be fine. You're going to find another shed, all right? You were fine without this shed, but there's just yeah. that pull that, like, oh, I don't want to screw it up. But that's a great point to just even be able to, you know, if I am such a sentimental guy, then how cool it is, is it to now have my pocket knife have 
ivory or bone from the deer that I took and to be able to carry that around each day. Yeah. All right. My last one here, Emra, is at one point, you know, old becomes new, new becomes old. And there was, there was a point where I was saying like, you don't need another piece of equipment in the kitchen. I, I think I may have found a reason to now get behind the sous vide. Have you had a chance to play with a water immersion wand or bucket there, uh, there, Emra? No, I have not. Um, it, it's, it's gotten pretty popular. It seems like everyone's talking about it, you know? Yep. Um, obviously it's been around forever in commercial kitchens and stuff, but I think, I don't know if it was someone on your podcast. Um, they said that, you know, it's, it's, that they like the idea and all, but I mean, it's really more for like, if you're like a caterer, you know, trying to have like, you know, 120 meals, like ready to go and you got to like serve them quick kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't gone down that road though. No. Well, I was one that was like, you don't need it. I'm a, it's one of these things that maybe I would borrow one and try it out. I saw it as a one trick pony, as in yeah. I only heard people talk about how they could cook steak with it. And you can do that without it. You can cook steak without a sous vide and possibly even get a better job. But where I did find the sous vide does a great job is there's a technique called confit. And Mm -hmm. you're essentially braising in the fat of the animal. And it's very popular popular with ducks. So domestic ducks, they will take the leg and thighs and put them in uh, a pot, render down the fat that's all underneath that skin, and they will braise them in this liquid. Once that gets to basically just a you know fork tender, they then pull those out, drop them into some sort of vessel, whether it be uh, a mason jar or some sort of uh, crock that they had there. They then put they put the legs in there pour the oil on top or pour the render pour the rendered fat oh my goodness on top of it fill it all the way up and then pretty soon it solidifies so now you have preserved uh duck legs in this crock or in this jar that all you need to do is uh pull them out with a fork heat them up and then do what you wanted to this was like old school french Yep. Now to be able to use the same idea, I took a thigh. Now, granted, it, it was a domestic bird, but that translates amazing over into a, a wild bird here that's going to take a lot of time just because the amount of work and sinews that are in a leg and thigh of those critters that I'm going to pour in whatever neutral oil that I want into uh, a vac bag or even a Ziploc bag. So in goes the leg quarter. In goes, uh, I would say, a quarter cup of oil at that point. You don't need to go crazy with it. Normally, you'd have to fill this thing up with oil, but because it's going to be in the bag, you only need a quarter cup. I then add whatever seasonings I wanted to. At that point, I did thyme and rosemary. I just went simple, a little salt, a little pepper, sealed that bag up, and I dropped that into my stock pot where I had the immersion, uh, or I had the sous vide wand, uh, clamp to the side, 155 for 36 hours. Now, it was a long time, but it was super easy 
because I just kept it in there and I did have to go back every couple hours and refill the water level. The amount of of evaporation these things get if you're going to do a long cook like this, you got to you got to pay attention to it. You got to keep adding your water in uh to keep you level. But I opened up that bag and put it in the broiler just to color it cuz at that point it is gray when you open it up. Yeah. But having that oil do its magic at 155 degrees, nothing I have replicated, whether it be in a Dutch oven or in a a crock pot, has come out this velvety out of it. And I feel like just being able to do that comfy style out of one of those sous vides, like, all right. This has now earned a place in my kitchen just for that style. Not cooking steak, not, you know, making vegetables at this point, but really being able to use that comfy, uh, braising in an oil uh, or an animal oil is just, I tell you, lights out. I got a picture what, of that. What oil did you use then? That's, I used for the, the turkey thigh. I put that in the bag, quarter cup of oil, the seasonings sealed it and then that's what sat in the uh pot of water like olive oil or vegetable or what what kind of oil i used an olive oil okay and i think with i didn't go too crazy because there was a lot of fat on the domestic turkey but using an olive oil i would even say a neutral crisco you could go vegetable style you could even use pork lard I probably wouldn't go bacon fat just for the fact that I think that would overtake the taste of the turkey. I think that smoke too much cured uh, salt. Yeah. 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 Would it work? Absolutely. But I, I think it would just overtake that. So I would go with something super neutral, even if it was pork lard or excuse me. Yeah. Like back fat that you render out that that would also work out really well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, I haven't, haven't gone down that sous vide route, but. Gotcha. Well, Hey, Emra, I am now out of time. I got my class bell ringing here in just a few minutes. Yeah. Can you tell my listeners where, where can we find you? Where can we get in, t- in contact with you? Where can we find more about bow hunting soul? Just uh, bow hunting soul um, in, on Instagram um, and on on YouTube. Really, that's the, those are the those are the two bow hunting soul podcast. Um, yeah, I mean it's all spelled the same, so just type it in. There I am. Perfect, perfect. Well, hey, just hold on for a second. I'm going to send my listeners yep. on out, folks. I hope you enjoyed our little mid afternoon chat here. You know, we're, we talked a little bit about not only what do we want to get from our kills, what do we want to get. I mean return on investment if we're going to talk about that like i don't want to leave anything out in the field if i don't have to but maybe it doesn't always have to go into the kitchen maybe it can go into a call maybe it become a new a new fletching maybe you can take that treasured shed antler that you found and add some scales to a kitchen knife to a pocket knife i know it's hard i'm a sentimental guy i get it you're gonna have to cut something up in order to make something else better but anyway that would be something to give a shot But if you do bring any of this into the kitchen and trying to get more out of your bird this year, make sure that your knife is always sharp.